Shout out Fred Durst on this Wednesday morning. Big Limp Biscuit guy, Kyle? You know, I, I can't say I am. That's actually too, uh, you're too young for that. You're too young for that. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I wouldn't even call myself a Limp Biscuit guy. I don't think anybody would ever say that, but I'm not going to lie. There's a couple tunes in there that I like. Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm is a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together their very own roster, you need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game when you want the real deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's the Ryan Rosillo Podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You're listening right now going, Rosilla sounds real locked in. I am. That's how I feel. Danny Cannell is going to talk college football with us for about 30 plus minutes, and then we'll do a life advice. But this week's open, I can't wait. I'm just jumping on it. Is about me and how I feel about things. No, it really has more to do with something that I've struggled with and something that I've always thought I was. And I always thought I was pro player. And the more I think about it, maybe I'm not. I've been talking about the NBA on the air now since 2003. Okay. It's probably the single biggest thing in my life, whether it's watching, talking to people about it, calling people about it, or just thinking about it. I don't know that there's anything that I've been more involved with than the NBA in the last almost two full decades. And I've never been a pro owner guy. I mean, who the hell is pro owner, right? I would never think, hey, when the next CBA, I hope the owners really stick it to them. So that's always made me feel pro player because I've always wanted the players to do well. Unfortunately, they lose at every CBA negotiation. It's just a matter of how much they've had their number shaved down from 57% of the revenue split to just under 50, depending on the rounding numbers and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want that to happen. So I've always felt pro player. Like it's not even debatable, right? I'm pro player. I'm telling you I'm pro player. But if being pro player means I have to defend every single player now in a movement that we've seen in the last two years when they've demanded change, then maybe I'm not. And it starts with Harden. Harden who has been the centerpiece of this Houston run, which if I were grading it, I would grade it a lot higher than you guys would probably think because they were going at the West the most difficult time ever, maybe facing the most talented team we've ever seen in Golden State and trying to get through it, and they still almost got through it. So despite all of Harden's playoff failures, which are many, this thing all has kind of worked around Harden and Daryl Morey and the Rockets deserve a lot of credit of trying to figure this thing out and putting it together and changing it all the time. Because guess what? Harden wanted changes and they brought in Chris Paul. People questioned it. It actually kind of worked. But then Harden got sick of playing with Chris Paul, said he couldn't beat people off the dribble. Paul was like, yeah, well, when I beat somebody off the dribble, their guy comes, the other guy comes to help off of you because you never do anything. And then guess what? I'm not saying Paul's the easiest guy to play with, but Harden didn't want to play with him. So they move him and they move him for Russell Westbrook, who's young but more expensive because he's owed more years and they gave up four picks in that deal two first that are lightly protected and two swaps and then guess what that didn't work Harden didn't want to play with him either 
to the point where Westbrook actually demanded a trade before. And then we all know what happened with Westbrook and John Wall. I'll get back to Harden, but I actually want to talk about Wall. Am I supposed to defend John Wall's trade request to be considered pro player? Because John Wall, who I feel like the Wizards have backed the entire time, number one overall pick, no problem. They gave him a $85 million extension in July of 2013. If you go back and look at those stories, they actually did it earlier than they needed to, but they just did it because they wanted to have their guys back. John Wall, who has played 73 games total in the last three seasons, that guy demands a trade, and he was paid pretty much more than anybody else, and I'm supposed to defend that because if I don't, then then what's that mean? I'm, I'm pro-owner? That doesn't seem to make any sense. As a quick aside on the wall thing, and this is, uh, it's not a theory, it's just fact. I get really scared of kind of the year-to-year pricing on players, the perceived value of players, and how drastically it can change in 12 months. So that Westbrook goes from, I got to throw in four firsts for Westbrook to where it's like, actually the only guy a year later I can trade him for is John Wall, who's hurt. That's crazy. But I also think it applies to Wall that if Wall were to give you a full healthy season, considering he's still younger and maybe puts up some numbers because he's going to get numbers on the Houston team, depending on how the team actually looks. If Wall plays for a full year and is healthy, then teams are going, ah, you know what? He's a little younger. He looked pretty good. Little, little production. Um, you know, it's only two years left of money. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, these things can change really quickly. Westbrook being case in point. So I think that's something at least to feel, have an open mind about with Wall, especially if you're a Rockets fan. But, when I go back to the Harden part of it, Harden wanted to play with Wall then. So he wanted Paul, no. Wanted Westbrook, no. Wants Wall. But, I mean, he can't want Wall that much because Harden still wants out and wasn't even reporting to the team. Another thing that the Rockets did, and I went back and read these things, when Silas was hired, and apparently they all wanted Ty Lue. Imagine wanting Ty Lue this bad. You're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. And because it isn't about Ty Lue. It isn't about the teammates. It isn't about anything. It's in the moment going, you know what? I just want to go somewhere else and win. I'm out of here. Because... Silas, and this was actually written a few weeks ago, was like Westbrook and Harden have not spoken to coach Steven Silas, but they have the utmost respect for him. Or they have none. Or they have none. And that's fine, I guess. And I actually give Silas a lot of credit. He's been a lifer in the NBA, so he's got a little bit more. He's got more balls to him than you would think because he is quiet. I've always liked him. And he's like, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, I don't know what to do about this anymore. So, you know, you can ask me all you want. I don't know if it's fine, but, you know, look, we want Harden to be here. He's not going to be here. The other part of it, too, was that they made John Lucas a lead assistant because that was going to change everything. Even to the point where I read, you know, D'Antoni was threatened by John Lucas because he was so tight with Harden. How tight is he? Because Harden doesn't care. He was named lead assistant. Does pro player mean defending Anthony Davis? The funny thing about the Anthony Davis force out of New Orleans is now it doesn't even look so bad considering what we've had between Westbrook, Wall, and Harden in just a few weeks. But Davis, and I think the problem is, is the rules, they at least were accepted that the rules were if you had a year left, then it was okay to ask for a trade. But if you have two years left, then it isn't as cool. And basically, Anthony Davis just hit the nuclear button, but he didn't do it. He let Clutch do it. And it's not like Clutch is the first agency to decide, hey, we want our guy out, and we also want him to go play with another one of our clients, a guy named LeBron James, to help everybody out here. They're not the first to do it, but that's what they did, and that's why people didn't like it. And Davis, you could at least say, New Orleans, not a great franchise at that point. It's pre-Griff, injury history, kind of ownership that was in flux there. And the rest of the roster wasn't great, even though they had that one playoff series against Portland. But that's a first-round sweep, so it's really not that big of a deal. But does that mean I have to defend that? I mean, there are other examples of this. I like Kawhi. I like him a lot. But do I have to be pro-player and defend Kawhi just saying to the Spurs, I don't want to play for a year? Is that cool? We could talk about mixed, uh, misdiagnosed injury. We could talk about long-term injury stuff that he apparently is going to have, which I believe to this point. But do I have to defend a guy just saying, yeah, I don't really want to play. I don't like you guys. I don't like the doctors. I'm just not going to show up for an entire year. Trade me. Do I have to defend that? I can never defend Paul George. We've been over this one over and over and over again. But what if Paul George and Kawhi decided after this year, if it doesn't go well, hey, we want out. And that's why it scares the hell out of me, too, when we talk about some of these other things that could be corrected. Everybody has pushed in all of these draft picks to do whatever they can and part of me understands it I definitely understood it with the Clippers going hey all these picks mean Paul George and Kawhi Leonard so what's the debate but what if Paul George or even Kawhi were to bounce I don't think Kawhi leaves LA and he's certainly not going to go to the Lakers now that LeBron's extended there but 
What if this ends up only being a two-year run and you sacrifice all these picks? I could see teams between the Westbrook deal and the Paul George deal saying, you know what, maybe we should stop doing that for guys that we have very limited control over contractually. I mean, Paul George, we've been over the quotes and all those different things. Do I have to defend Paul George to, to convince you that I'm pro-player? What if in a few years a guy signs a, a five-year deal? So he's under control for five years with a new max and then plays one year and has four years left of contractual team contractual control and says, yeah, I don't want to be here. Do I have to defend that? Low key. Steven Jackson actually did that years ago, years and years ago. You can go and look it up. He signed a three-year, I think, extension. It wasn't huge, huge money. It was, it was good money back then. And then he was like, all right, I'm out of here. I asked him about it on a phone or and he hung up on me. I think we're cool now. But I was like, hey, when you did that thing, he's like, what, what, what? Think about this as it relates to the league, because what if the NFL did this? What if, and I'm going to use Josh Allen and the Bills, although you don't have to worry about a Bills fans, but what if in a version of this, an NBA version of a young quarterback uh, that became the norm in the NFL? Your team isn't that good. It's not in a major market. It's not one of the five cool markets like we have in the NBA. So whatever the five cool NFL markets are, I don't even feel like doing that because that's not part of the debate. Different podcast. What if you had Josh Allen and then year three looks really good and he was awesome this week. He's 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 turned his career around. Josh Allen's going to be looks like he's going to be terrific. But you spend a year on Buffalo talk radio going, yeah, heard he wants to leave too small of a market. Won't take the extension. Should we trade him now? You've been waiting to get any kind of success up there for a long time. What if that was the norm in the NFL, where anytime you drafted a good young quarterback after a decade of failures, the first thing you worried about once he became pretty good is if you were going to be able to keep him for year four or five. That would kind of suck, wouldn't it? Now, when it comes to Harden and the trade part of this, here's what I feel good about saying, and that is I think the Simmons deal for Harden is they're waiting for Houston. I think Philadelphia would do Simmons for Harden yesterday. I don't know what Houston's current current state is. I don't know if they want to ride this out. People could talk about, oh, the longer you wait, the lower the price goes down for Harden. I don't believe in that stuff. You don't know what's going to happen. What if somebody gets hurt on another team that's really good and they're able to figure something out? You know, you don't, we can't predict these things. We get tons of this stuff wrong and projecting, oh, this is the most likely, this could... I don't know that the price goes down. Maybe it goes up. And I know everybody says it. I know people are listening to this right now disagreeing. I just, I resist that. I resist that we know emphatically what the price would be. Maybe Houston thinks Ben Simmons isn't good enough. I would tell you based on the rumors of who's available and out there, especially if you looked at the version of a Brooklyn deal, I don't know what the picks would end up being. Like I want real picks that actually could be really good with these deeper, supposed deeper drafts the next couple of years. But I would just do the Ben Simmons deal. Now, Simmons and Wall isn't perfect, um, but it's it's probably better in some version of seeing Wall and Simmons run around together than Simmons and Embiid just get in each other's way. Uh, so I don't know if Houston would do it, but if that's the best out there, I, I think you could do a lot worse. I'd rather trade Harden for a B piece than... I don't know what the grades are on Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. They're nice players, but they're also going to be guys you have to pay like $20 million. So I'm getting a couple like B-minus, C-plus pieces for an A piece. I'll just take the B, maybe even a B-plus, because I think Simmons away from everything, running up and down and having more control of the basketball and not having a big that's bringing all this attention to the middle of the court. I actually think that version of Simmons is one I want to see. So I don't know if it gets done but I think it's available for them. And I actually think it makes a little bit more sense in an impossible situation. Also, Extra nugget, I think P.J. Tucker wants out. I can't imagine he wants to stay there. So maybe P.J. Tucker is part of the deal, flips somewhere else, or, or maybe is in some kind of transaction there. But let's go back as we conclude here. So forgive me if I don't want to defend playoff flameout James Harden, who's asking for a trade. Forgive me if I don't want to defend the guy that can't report to camp because he's at the club. I'm sorry I don't want to defend the guy posting emojis on IG like a conflicted teenager. Forgive me if I don't want to defend the guy that wants all of his buddies traded to the team and giving up assets for him. And then as soon as he plays with them, he realizes, I don't really want to play with this guy because that other guy probably doesn't want to play with you a ton. And forgive me if over the years, as great as Harden has been and as talented as he is, I've never denied that, that this whole system is inflated to make him look like a historically great player that's probably a little misleading. And honestly, Houston fans, I feel bad for you. You've invested years, all sorts of terabytes, Defending this guy 
And I wonder, in your movement to defend Harden over the years, are you still defending him now because you're so pro player? I doubt it. Because now he's just said, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. And none of it really mattered to me as much as you thought it did. And that's always the scary thing as you get a little bit older about that pro-athlete relationship is that a lot of them just don't actually care as much as you care. And I don't know who's right in that one. So I'm not even criticizing the athlete. You know, owners, every time we get close to a CBA, they start complaining about all the money that they're going to lose. And it drives me crazy, right? It drives me crazy because even if your operating costs are too much and you're not turning a profit the way you're used to turning a profit and guys that put in a billion dollars want a bigger return than the year-to-year returns of running a franchise. If I told you you could buy a house for a half a million dollars and that along the years, maybe it's going to dip on Zillow a little or the landscaping costs are going to be too much or the HOA is a little higher than you'd like it to be, but you're going to sell that house for $2 million in 10 years, would you be okay with that transaction? You probably would. And that's the case with every owner with all of these teams. I don't know if the current climate is going to change some of this stuff. But for the last, I don't know, 20 plus years, like who's writing the articles about the guy that took a bath on buying a pro franchise? You don't see it. You don't see it because it doesn't happen. So why would I root for that guy? I mean, that would be like the guy complaining, my kids, they're messing up the lawn outside. You're going to quadruple your investment on the house. Don't worry about the landscaping costs. And that's what I would say to any owner that complains about all these short-term things because they're all going to clean up. So I'm never rooting for that person. But as I sift through all of these player stories over the last couple of years, and then I'll see people defend them, and they're like, well, you know, I've always got the players back. I mean, players are going to cape for players. They just are. They are, and you can, you can argue with them. It's just there's no point. They were on that side of it. They have a very different perspective than the rest of us. These are the elite of the elite. They are special. They see something amazing when they look in the mirror because it's kind of true. So the normal rules don't apply to these guys. But whenever I'm thinking about a new demand and I go, wait, am I not? Am I anti this guy? And then I'll think, I thought I was pro player, but maybe I'm just pro league. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I really look forward to these anytime Danny Cannell has time to join us. So we are doing this instant reaction to the college football rankings. I just want to talk some college ball. I went on with he and Greg McElroy, their morning show, Sirius XM. Check it out every single day in the morning. And then, of course, CBS Sports as well. Okay, I already know because you sat there and done so. I don't know how this is going to go, if we're getting mad at each other or not. Um, your biggest, your biggest, like the big moment, your morning show next day, your headline off the rankings is what? Uh, I just, I, I hate. I hate the system. It's so rigged. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sound like certain people, but it is so rigged. What is this? Your Joel Clatt deal? <laughs> no, no, no. It is not Joel Clatt. It is, but it is, it is, it is built for the Power Five. And the problem I have with it is that the Group of Five, who 
players are sold the bill of goods, the players that go to the UCFs, the Cincinnati's, the Boise States, you know, these teams, the top tier group of five teams from the time they're recruited to the time they step on campus, when they're playing there, they're told, Hey, you know, if we take care of our business, we can get in the playoffs. Like, and, and technically they can by rule, they're allowed to get there. And yet that's a total farce. Like it's, it's been proven time and time and time again, that the committee is just not going to give you the nod. It's always going to go. The benefit of the doubt is going to go to the traditional powerhouses or the power five schools, which have played technically tougher schedules. Um, And it's just not fair. Like I'm at a point where I'm just kind of so fed up with it that I want to push for change because I think a group of five playoff would be awesome. And maybe that's where I've just thrown in the towel instead of saying, Hey, let's have UCF co-national champs and all that garbage or Hey, let's make it <laughs> this year. Like, cause that's fun and it's cute and all that. But to me, it's about the players because I, I want them to be able to play for something that matters, not a new year's six invite that if they win the game, then it's, Oh, well they didn't even want to be there to play you guys. So like, you don't get that much credit. So like, I want to see something, some meaningful change. And the fact that Cincinnati dropped after not playing and Iowa State's given this massive amount of credit for a win over a eh, West Virginia team, the fact that Coastal Carolina beats a team that a lot of people really liked in BYU and said, oh, this, you know, I remember vividly watching college game day and they're having this debate about BYU and Cincinnati. And a lot of guys were up there saying, oh, this BYU team looks the part. They've got big dudes on offense and defense and they got an NFL quarterback and all they need is a signature win. And then they go get beat by Coastal. And instead of lifting up Coastal and saying, man, maybe it's Coastal we were wrong about. Maybe Coastal needs to be in this conversation. It's, uh, BYU must have been garbage. Like, I just, I don't like the way the group of five is treated. Right. Now, I'll admit, I disagree with you on this all the time. As we know, I am not a group of five guy. I think if you have a chance to play for a national championship, you should have to go through the big boy schedules. And I'll admit that I might just be wrong. As far as the recruiting part of it, like, I get what you're saying, but everybody makes up shit when they recruit anyway. So like if you went to coastal thinking you were going to have a chance to play in the playoff, that's really more on you than it is the staff saying it. Um, The BYU point, go ahead. Don't you think at UCF and Cincinnati, they dangle that carrot out there of, Hey, well then you should go somewhere else. Like you should be educated enough as a recruit that you should, your number one reason to go in Cincinnati shouldn't be, Hey, maybe we can find a way to backdoor into the playoff because it's not going to happen. I mean, if these guys were dumb enough to create a playoff to screw over one of their own partners in the power five, they're never going to be thinking about a group of five team. And you're right though, about Carolina, like you watch them and you're like this team, it's kind of like your Indiana point that I want to get to a little bit later that I saw you tweeting about on Saturday. If you've watched Indiana multiple times this year, you're like, you know, they're good. They're tough. They've got athletes. Like Tom Allen's done a really good job. This isn't just the the Penix Jr. show now that he's hurt. It wasn't just one quarterback carrying them all the time. Sometimes they were carrying him because he wasn't always like the most proficient quarterback. But BYU, I think what you're guilty of and the group of five promoters are, and I'll say it one more time, I might be wrong about this. It's just how I feel. They would talk at BYU. BYU would give up 500 yards on the ground to Alabama. Like they would, they would get destroyed. Coastal ran over them in the second half of that game. I know it came down to the last play. Wilson didn't have a great game. We understand immediately his NFL uh, attributes. Just watching throw the football enough this year, you're like, all right, okay, I get it. I totally get it. But I think Bama, I think Notre Dame, you know, Clemson, I think they would run these teams over. And so when I go, Are you rooting specifically for a team that you watch every week and you say, I think they can play with the big boys or what you really doing? And I I think I know this is what you are doing. You're rooting against the system. And I don't even think it's you rooting against the SEC part of this. Although I think that's still in your game. You are clearly rooting against. It's not. It's like you're you're a startup business rooting against Walmart, rooting against Amazon. And and I I appreciate it but I still don't know that any of those teams I've ever watched are deserving of it. And certainly not coastal or BYU and compare Cincinnati. I'll allow, but I'm just not going to take Cincinnati in over a team like say A&M if some things break the right way when A&M has a win against Florida. Uh, I agree. I mean, McElroy on the radio the other day asked me, he's like, why, why do you, what's your plight for the little guy? Right? Like he was serious. (laughs) Especially because you went to Florida state. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, 
I've seen it. And probably it comes back from my high school background. I played at the smallest division in high school. And there was a school across town that made it to the state championship at the 4A level. We were the single A level. And to this day, they made it and lost. We made it and won. And I have buddies that I know that played on that team. And I'm like, we would have beat you guys. And they're like, no, no, no way. We were way bigger than you. I'm like, no, we would have beat you guys. We had a better offense. We have better scheme. And it's like still like bragging rights to this day. So maybe that's where it comes from. But to your point about Coastal, I agree that Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, some of the top teams would probably run all over them. I, but, I was saying that in reference to BYU because Coastal trucked BYU physically, I thought, absolutely. in the second half of that game. Right. And, but don't you think... So here's what I love about Coastal's attack. It's one of the things that I really liked about UCF's attack when they had Mackenzie Milton running. There, there are schemes that can make up for the talent disparity that's there. I mean, like that's why I'm like, hey, I hope Vanderbilt hires a triple option coach because they have no chance of winning in the SEC unless they do something unique like that. Coastal's running this spread option concept, which is very tricky. It's a lot of misdirection. There's and McCall's a lot of perfect options. for it, too. I mean, absolutely. That, his fake pitch to the left on that keeper, where I don't even think he thought he was going to keep it against BYU, that was ridiculous. So go <laughs> it ahead. It was insane. So, like, that's where I'm like, yes. These teams are significantly better. They're you know better recruits, four and five stars all over, the, all over the field. But football is a chess match at times. And that's how upsets happen. And teams that aren't supposed to win end up winning games. Because BYU was a 10-point favorite in that game. And Coastal came out and shocked the world. And they probably would be a 28-point. I don't know what the spread would be against Bama. It would be much more significant. And they probably wouldn't win the game. But we'll never get to know in that circumstance. There was one other thing that bothered me about Cincinnati um, with the Ohio State conversation. Because I still... Is Ohio State one of the best four teams? Probably, right? They've got the talent. They've got Justin Fields. They've got pedigree. They've got all these things going for them. But I, I, I had Cincinnati ranked ahead of them because they played you know, three more games and they had a game canceled too. They've had a couple games canceled, but they'll have another top 25 win. So it's starting not to resonate as much, but I had a bunch of Ohio state fans come at me and they said, Hey, well, we played them last year and we went 42 to nothing. Like, how did that work out? And that is a, that is a great point. That is true. But did anybody hold it against LSU last year? They were beat 29 to nothing the year before by Alabama. Like there's just a different set of rules for the teams that are in the group of five. And Cincinnati is just the latest example of it. And the fact that they dropped in Iowa State with two losses, jumped them, it's just kind of a joke. And the, all of a sudden, the committee loves the Big 12, who is 0-3 against the Sun Belt. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's beyond me. Like, what Like what more? And if you're the Sun Belt, I think you just throw in the towel and say, yep, we're just, this is just the way it is. Like, it's, it's a joke. And it's just kind of laughable, uh, the kind of the double standard that's there for the Power 5 schools versus the Group of Five. I've liked I test Cincinnati better than than Coastal and BYU mm-hmm. all year long. Um, after the Army game, I don't know what it was. I just watched them and had the game, and, and Army was ranked at that time. And I was like, man, you know, Cincinnati's actually like they look pretty good. I think Ritter's even improved as the season's gone along. But yes, can canceled games against Temple and then a ranked Tulsa team, which was a rematch, or not even a rematch. That was a a postponed game. Um, but they're going to get another shot at this, so we'll see what happens to the American. But um. I, you know, the problem, I think the problem, and you would agree, is I don't even love that argument that because Ohio State beat them so badly that we're supposed to just dismiss them. I mean, every year is different with teams. They just are different. But when you, the reason why LSU is not held against them is they have multiple chances to kind of give us a chance of who we know that they are. Like, we know who they might be. And and the fact that LSU already had put together some nice wins before they go into Tuscaloosa and beat them, it's just different. So it's it sucks for those teams. They don't get enough chances at it. But the, the irony of all of this is that as we're talking about what it means with Ohio State, if Ohio State were not Ohio State, no chance they're fourth. Like your SEC bias thing is more on display here with Ohio State than any SEC team. I mean, they are they are number two. I know your ESPN FPI rankings are maybe the least favorite thing that we have. To t- like, you hate them so much. As soon as you figured out what they were, I think we did a day on it. You're like, yeah. recruiting rankings? <laughs> recruiting rankings in the previous year? That's part of the FPI. Why don't we just rank them 1 through 14, and then we'll start after the SEC? And it was a good point that you brought up. Ohio State is number two in ESPN's FPI rankings. If you have a ranking system that Ohio State, based on this body of work, is ahead of Notre Dame, then fix your system. Fix your ranking system because not only are they number two in FPI, they're 72 in strength of schedule. So 
I am conflicted on Ohio State. I've I've mentioned this before. I test. I think they're pretty good, but I know I'm just being guilty of going. Oh, it's Ohio State. I guess they're pretty good because when you beat Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers. Indiana, and they were in control of that game, so it's more than just a touchdown finish. And then truck Michigan State, who I think people kind of were off the scent about how bad Michigan State's actually been. Like, when Michigan State is bad this year, Danny, they're awful. But you, they see they see them beat Northwestern, and you think, well, maybe these guys can compete. Tucker's doing a great job. I love the head coach. But they've been so bad on offense at times that I think all of us are guilty of going, oh, yeah, put Ohio State for The committee's doing it, too. I don't think we can help ourselves, even though there's no way we would argue this kind of resume with any other team. No. because uh, And here's the thing that scares me, and this is where it's always been, because I was hard on Ohio State when they got in over Penn State, when Penn State uh, won the Big Ten and uh, and got left out there, too. It is about the brands of the Blue Bloods. Like That's why Bama gets the benefit of the doubt. Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt. And the thing that kind of scary that I, I, I want to point out is that let's say the Georgia Bulldogs, who are still at number nine somehow. Yeah, maybe it's <laughs> like, still like whatever. whatever. Does Georgia whatever. bother you the most, or are you happy to not see Auburn at 24? Well, thank yeah, that one did bother me too, but thankfully Auburn did get dropped out. But here's the thing. If Georgia had played, let's just say the timing of their schedule was such that they had played Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Mississippi State. So that's five wins, and they were 5-0. and oh. You know where they'd be? They'd be in the top four. Yeah, they would be. At least top five. And yet, like, that's the one thing. And then we got, we found out as they played against Alabama and Florida that they had limitations offensively and that their defense wasn't quite as good as we thought. That's the only thing I'm skeptical. And that's why I have a big problem with Penn, or excuse me, Ohio State only playing, who knows, six games. That's going to be it. Like, maybe it was just timed out where they didn't. And, and the Big Ten has been atrocious this year. Like, the demise of Penn State and Michigan and Wisconsin has been atrocious. And maybe it's Mr. Wisconsin's of, straight up bad. I don't oh, know yeah. what the hell. There's a lot there. of teams. I, I don't know if it's, you know, some of the stricter protocols, their rosters are significantly decimated more so than other conferences, but the Big Ten is just flat out bad. So, how do we know Ohio State is that good? Yeah, they like, they. They beat Michigan State really bad without a lot of offensive linemen. And Justin Fields looked awesome. But they're a really bad team. The one good team they played against, who is Indiana, they looked okay. And I know it was kind of – there was a lot of second-half points, and Indiana fought their way back into the game. But, like, to me, they haven't earned it. They are going on the past history. And I know that Georgia was breaking in a new quarterback. And you could do this with Oklahoma because if Oklahoma had timed their schedule right and they had dodged some of their losses – they would probably be in the top four. Like there would be a very crowded top five, top six, and all of them would have a le- legitimate case to get into the playoff. But that's why we need to play at least nine, 10, 11 games so that we find out who is the deserving team versus the teams we think are the top four. And that's always my biggest problem is we, there's too much. We think this team is good as opposed to letting them play it on the field. My counter to that is always, though, even though I'm not in a disagreement with you right now, is, okay, then if not them, who? And I feel like that's when you start to kind of lower your – like, this is where I thought you, this weekend, no offense, contradicted yourself a bit. (laughs) Which time? (laughs) when, (laughs) when, When Indiana beat Wisconsin, you were like, I've been trying to tell people, if you watched them, Indiana's a good football team this year. That part of it, I agree. And then you shit on AM earlier because you're like, oh, good win for AM. <laughs> went on the road against Auburn. If those roles are reversed and it was an SEC team like Indiana beating Wisconsin, you wouldn't have said Indiana was good. You would have said Wisconsin is terrible if it was a, if it was an <laughs> SEC game. But since it was a Big Ten game, you no, were giving see- credit. You were positive about Indiana, but like AM gets a win. I don't care what you say about Auburn. That's a talented team. If they didn't have Bo Nix, if they had, oh, don't even roll. But they don't. They're skilled guys. They have Bo Nix. They have Bo Nix. I'm telling you, like if they had, trying to think of like a a perfect example of somebody like not too. If they had Jake Fromm, seriously, like if they had good Jake Fromm, I I think Auburn's a completely different team. But I felt like those that within the same couple hour window, I was like, he's up to his old tricks. No, but here's where here's where it is. A and M is ranked fifth. Indiana's not like they're not, I want to give credit to the teams that aren't getting the credit. Texas A&M's got all the love in the world. And then it was going to be like, Oh, this is such a signature win where Indiana doesn't, they get overlooked all the time. Texas A&M doesn't need any help. Who's better attention. Indiana or, or excuse me, who's better Wisconsin or Auburn? 
I think oh, come Auburn, on. but not by a ton though. Yeah, Auburn, like I, it's Auburn this year, but Auburn's not a great team. Auburn, I'm not saying South they're Carolina. Great. Auburn lost to South Carolina, who's garbage. They're a two-win team, and Tough one loss. of them was against Auburn. <laughs> yes, Tough exactly. Loss. That's the gauntlet. It's the gauntlet of the SEC. It <laughs> caught up to them in that one. Well, yeah, it was just wrong week, just beat up from the previous week. You, you know, know I, can, can I can I say something else? You about do whatever you want. Yeah, All right, I like this. Uh, so the team that I think, the other team that I think got hosed the last couple weeks uh, is the Miami Hurricanes. So they got screwed over by the ACC, who basically said, hey, we've got a chance for Clemson and Notre Dame, who's only been a full-time member for one year and only will be a full-time member for one year. Like, yeah, let's take care of those guys. And Miami gets completely gets completely shafted in the ACC championship conversation. Miami's sitting there at ten, and they're they're just sitting there. They just, they just wax Duke, and I know Duke is not a very good team, but they're not. No one is talking about them, and I know. So I think the counter is well, they got beat by Clemson, right? That that kind of destroyed their hopes. Like once you saw them get beat by Clemson, nah, they just can't hang with the top teams in the country. What did Texas A&M do versus Bama? So. Miami lost by 25 to Clemson and they were written off, written out of the conversation. AM loses by 28 to Alabama. And it's, oh, they're a good team. That's a good loss. Like they Because they beat Florida. Because they I have know, but- there's no Florida win, the equivalent of a Florida win on Miami's resume. I agree. I, I don't agree. I don't know. They don't what, have Miami- that one win, but we put so much stock into one win that it's just that's that holds way too much weight for me that's way too much sway because the rest of their schedule AM, the rest of that like beating Vanderbilt 17 to 12 like having a game where they struggled against a bad uh, LSU team like eh, like there's they, they, the SEC is kind of like the Big 10 it's not loaded it's and stacked not, the way though. that it's typically is no there's three teams at the top of the SEC even if you're anti AM. and i can't imagine you as a quarterback that you're not impressed watching Florida run that offense. Watching oh, their route, it. their, their defenses, their defense did not come along the way that LSU's did last year. Would you agree on that? No, like, but I, I was always trying to scream from the rooftops that LSU's defensive numbers were misleading because, and they still weren't even that bad when everybody thought they sucked on defense. They would give up a ton of yards and points when the game was already in the balance. Like right. people look back at that Bama game like it's close. It kind of was on the final <laughs> score. They controlled them offensively the entire game up until the last, you know, few minutes in the fourth quarter there. What do you think of Florida's defense? Um, I, it's, I don't think it's a strength. I think A&M's defense is better than theirs. I like, I oh, like for personnel sure. better on A&M's. Um, I, you know, I think the biggest thing for A&M is that Kellen Mond, who I've been just off of for years, and he put together a nice little bit run there, but it was, you know, the Florida win. And then it was Mississippi State. That's a disaster in case anybody outside of the SEC hasn't noticed what happened <laughs> since that win against LSU, which makes that LSU win look even worse. It's funny. I thought the Missouri loss for LSU was the worst thing ever. And now Missouri finds, finds a way to get ranked, which I'm sure you loved. Yes. Um, the Mississippi State lost week one now, in hindsight, looks a lot worse. So A&M, yeah, you could, you could make this argument. Like, wait, you beat LSU that played two different quarterbacks, although LSU's defense finally kind of showed up in that game a little bit. Um, the point that I'm trying to make here is that I've never been a Kellen Mond guy. I find him incredibly frustrating, whether it's game to game, series to series. He put together a nice stretch by his standards. Mel Kuyper even had him ranked like six of his quarterbacks. I was like, what? I was shocked by that, just watching him play, because I've watched him play a ton. But if I'm going to do the Danny Cannell deal here, I go, okay, so after Florida, I'm supposed to get excited about the offense and Kellen Mond because of Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina, two games postponed, LSU, who's just having the worst year ever, and then a comeback win at Auburn. I think Mond is actually slipping a little bit more. So of all the Florida, Bama, L- you know, excuse me, I didn't mean to say LSU, Florida, Bama, because I'm just used to it, um, and A&M. Uh, that's probably the most concerning element of any of those teams is that, wait, is Mon turning back into the guy that I've seen in previous seasons? Yeah, because I thought the Florida game and Jimbo, I remember Jimbo Fisher talking after the game to the broadcast crew, and he was like, this is a, you know, this is the win that he's been looking for. This is totally. the monkey off of our back, and this is going to propel us to you know higher heights. And so I felt like that was going to be a win that Kellen Mon would kind of all right, here he goes off to the races. Let's propel him into the Heisman Trophy conversation. It's been anything but. He's been incredibly up and down, uh, including a tipped pass that should have been intercepted late in the game against Auburn, where if that game gets, if that ball- Bad gets, pass. Terrible pass. Kobe, like, that should have been intercepted. Instead, it's tipped and it's touchdown game over, where it might have flipped the other way. Um, so I, I, all of this, we can argue to her blue in the face. I mean, it does feel like Alabama is just going to run Florida 
And then, you know, we're going to talk about all these SEC teams and maybe getting two in. And it's just going to be Bama and Florida's knocked out. I, I, are you into the Notre Dame is in no matter what camp? Um, you know, I, I always allow myself to be surprised. You know, I know it's a lot cooler if I say they're in no matter what, but I, I'm, I was really impressed with them in that Clemson game. I mean, if Book doesn't have the fumble, there's some stuff in that game if you go back and look at it, and that they were so physical against Clemson. So yeah, Trevor Lawrence changes the game, but I don't know why all of a sudden Clemson's defense, I thought physically Notre Dame was the tougher football team. So mm. I would expect that that is going to be part of the outcome You know, the, the next time around. So anybody's just saying like, oh, if Clemson just writes... You know, they get Trevor back, they win, they're going to roll them. I don't think they're going to roll them. You know, maybe they beat him. It was still a close game. It was an unbelievable game. And Clemson still almost won that one up there without him. But it feels that way because if you go Bama beating Florida, like how is A&M going to jump Notre Dame when their only loss will be the second time they played Clemson? So I, I just don't really see it. And then we still have to figure out what the hell is going to happen with Ohio State. So where are you with that? You think Notre Dame's still in danger? I do. I think there's way too much credence given to the second ranking, you know, the number two spot that, oh, it's going to be a really significant drop. I do think the outcome matters. I mean, I think recency bias comes into play. I think they need to look the part. You know, when you said, hey, I was really impressed with their defense, I thought you were going to talk about the second half versus North Carolina. Like that to me, and they were great against Clemson too. I'm talking about their offense physically. I think offensively, physically, the way they block, the way their front plays there. Totally agree. I'm very impressed with them. Yeah. And I think it'll be a close game. Like, and I, I, I also I wonder what we've never seen is, you know, a team meeting for the third time in one season, two teams meeting for the third time. I mean, I know the committee's not supposed to, you know, uh, have biases or try to avoid certain outcomes, but what's their, what's their flavor for that? Does it have to be a, a field goal game in order for them to say, well, we're going to throw in the towel and see these teams play one more time. Uh, I don't know. So I had something we've never no, seen before. It's a good point, but I'm going to just, I think it's one of those things because there's so many times, Andy, over the years where I would hear really plugged in guys, like all the guys that we've talked to back at ESPN would say, oh, you know, they're never going to send Florida State out West. They're going to have, remember when the Florida State beat <laughs> yes. Oregon? Yeah. Or excuse me, that's when Oregon beat Florida State and then Correct. lost to Ohio State in the national title game. But I remember specifically like people like, oh, they're going to send Florida State to keep them East, keep them Southeast. And, and then, and then they didn't. You know, like there's a lot of like, oh, they're not going to do that again because they're going to want to separate them. They don't want to have that. Re- and then they didn't. So I think you're going to hear that a lot. Um, but if Clemson wins a close one, is the committee? I mean, I'm sure the committee in the room could do it, but I, I wouldn't just sit there and say, oh, there's no way they're going to match them up again, um, even though everyone's right. going to say be, that. And they probably, if Bama's won, Notre Dame would probably drop to four. And then the only way they would meet for a third time would be in the championship, which would probably be unlikely because Bama's so good, right? I okay, mean, so but, they, are, but say this, like say Bama, you know, beats Florida, Florida's out because it's two losses. I want to talk about this Ohio State thing with you here, but what if like Ohio State's just stuck, you know, or they, they play a sixth game and we don't really know what it is? Or what if it's against, you know, Northwestern and, right. and you know, Northwestern people are just sort of off, like would... Would they go, wait, why are we going to drop Notre Dame if they lost a close rematch to Clemson the second time they played him in a few months? We're supposed to just put them behind Ohio State now in a Big Ten conference we're not as high on. We're just supposed to do it to avoid a, a first round matchup again. I don't know. I don't know if they would do that. I think they could. I think they could do anything they want to and they could explain it any way they want to. You know, you like, hate I, you hate the playoffs. I do. I, yeah. I do. I do. I know and you, you do. know, I've have ever since we've worked no, together, ever since yeah. that, I just I don't like the, you know, people, 13 people in a room, you know, giving the eye test. Hey, I like it better than a computer. Me too. I, like it I, computer, I agree. So. I mean, it's, and it's better than two. We get to four and it could get even better. What are your, um, if Ohio State says, hey, you know what? We made a rule in weird times and it actually happened. I've heard Ohio State's like down some guys themselves. So it's not all on Michigan. And they go, you know, whatever they can, they're, they're allowed. We, we said they couldn't be in the championship game unless it was six games or more, but now we changed the rule. What would you, where would you feel on that one? I wouldn't have a problem with it. I know you're on the same page. I mean, Hey, it's every conference for themselves, right? There is a vicious competitive nature to all these conference commissioners. They want to put forward their best foot forward. They want their best team forward. Look, the ACC rig things to potentially get two teams in this year. I'm okay with that. The thing that's kind of, funny about it to me is that I don't think it matters who Ohio state plays. I mean, if they play Northwestern or if they play Iowa, like, I don't think it matters. Like, and and just because it's crowning them a big 10 champion, 
I really don't think it matters. I just think it matters that they get another game in. You know, I, I think that's as long as they get to six, I do, I do feel like six is an arbitrary number that sounds a heck of a lot better than five. Seven, of course, would be better. You know, I think it's funny that everybody, myself included, is like, hey, let's get AM Ohio State to happen. Like every football analyst writer has said, let's make this happen. And yet there's zero chance of it happening. It would be awesome. But what would Ohio State's motive be for doing that? Like they only have a downside in playing that game. Texas A&M, I'm sure would line up to do it. But Ohio State's like, hey, we're good. Like all we have to do is not lose. And I don't see that happening. So I don't think it matters. Like I think the Big Ten will probably do it because it is a criteria that's mentioned and holds some value even though Ohio State has been in without winning the Big Ten championship before, just like Alabama, it doesn't matter that much. I'm surprised at all the Big Ten fans that can't get out of their hatred of Ohio State to realize it's actually just you would want your conference represented. You would want right. that money paid out, especially with everything that's going on right now. Like the same people that I think are saying, oh, you guys are changing. The rules. I don't even know how many people it is. Like I can already kind of guess like who would do the the opening rant or something like Ohio state changed their own rules. I'm like, yeah, they did. All right. So whatever, like they're going to get dragged on Twitter for 24 hours. Okay, cool. <laughs> like where's the check? Where's right. the playoff check? And now maybe we can save some of these other sports that we, you know, might not be able to save anyway. So I have no problem Indiana's, with the doing it. Indiana's rabid football base. They're, they're loud. They're upset. And they should be like, there's a team that could have a chance for a big 10 title that, you know, is yeah, I mean, not going to probably see this. You lost yeah. Ohio State. You know, Agreed. Like I can't. Agreed. That's why I don't feel that bad for them either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even Iowa, as you mentioned, I mean, they lost to Purdue to start the season. They lost to Northwestern. They've gone five straight, so they're worth bringing up, but they're behind Northwestern because they lost the head-to-head. Um, they beat Michigan State, Minnesota, Penn State, Nebraska, Illinois. And I'm like, wait, they're going to play in a Big Ten championship game? All right. So I, Ultimately, I don't think there's a team. Like, if, if, you, if you were the Big Ten and you really wanted to put your best foot forward, you would do away the divisions, have Ohio State play Indiana again. Like that'd be the best. I'd be fine with that. Me too. And I think that would, it'd give Indiana fans, hey, okay, you guys get your other chance. It would increase Ohio State's resume as the highest ranked opponent they could play from the Big Ten. And then kind of everybody wins, you know, except Indiana, if they did win the game, they'd be left out of the playoff. So then that would would kind of give them the shaft. So (laughs) So like, yeah, evil genius of the Big Ten. Yeah, let's avoid Indiana, give Ohio State the free pass, you know. Who's your Heisman winner right now? Man, this is tough because do you, you have a vote still, right? I do. I do. And I'm technically not supposed to say, but I'm getting really loose with giving out information because they you know, hey, I'm living on the edge. But I, wait so a minute. I'll Joe Tess isn't bugging you for a lean for his <laughs> yes. Heismanology. I'll ask you this. Danny, Joe Tess. What would you do? Do you go with the formula And just throw in the towel that it has to be the best quarterback on a really good team who has great stats. Or do you go with who do you think is the best player in the country? Because I think it's a two-man race between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. It probably plays out in the SEC championship game. Whoever outplays the other probably wins the award. But I would make an argument that Devontae Smith is the best player on Alabama's team and that Kyle Pitts is the best player on Florida's team. So do you go with one of those guys and waste your vote? Because I don't think that vote would get counted or hold much weight. So I'm kind of torn like of, of who to vote for. Because I do think those two players, like if you put Kyle Trask, and I, I love him, great Heisman-worthy season. If you put him on Kansas, he's probably not a very good quarterback. If you put <laughs> Kyle Pitts... No, I'm just saying, if you put Kyle Pitts on Kansas, he's probably going to have 12, 13 touchdowns. They're going to figure out a way. He could be triple covered. He's going to come down with some touchdown passes. Same thing with Devontae Smith. Same thing with Mac Jones. You put Mac Jones on Kansas, it's probably not going to be that good. You know, like I, so, but the award has become like just, it's become a formula and it's lost some of its prestige. And this year it's going to be a Zoom call. Like, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I honestly don't know. So I'll probably go along the lines of, Probably and and I would probably lean towards Kyle Trask because I think he's got some weapons clearly, but man, Mac Jones has the best offensive line in the country. He's got the Bolitnikoff Award winner. He's throwing to. He's got the Dirk Walker Award. I mean, it's like he's got the best running. Like it's just there's so many riches around him. I'm not saying it's easy. (laughs) <laughs> to play, but it makes it a whole lot easier to play when you have that type of talent around you. And Kyle Trask is having to do a little bit more with less. You know, I don't think their offensive line is good. Their defense clearly isn't as good. So there's a tighter margin of error. And I mean, he is going toe to toe with Burrow's number with numbers, which I thought 
would never happen again. Like I thought Burrow's numbers, and they will be untouchable because Trask won't get to play as many games. But if Trask was playing a full slate of games, getting to 15 games like Burrow did, he would be approaching 60 touchdowns, which is insane. I never thought we would see that type of season again. And Trask is right on pace. I need to look it up because the biggest Burrow number for me is a completion percentage record, but he was also chucking the ball down the field. Yep. And that was the number where you're going, all right, he's beating Colt McCoy. And not that I've ever said anything bad about Colt McCoy, but like Burrow was actually attacking the field too. Yep. But he also, like uh, Mac has had, or excuse me, Tua last year and Mac now. And that's why Daniel Jeremiah came on and did a podcast with us, not recently because he did, but last season. And he's like, you could argue that almost every single NFL team would trade all of their skill guys for the collection that you have at Bama LSU. And yep. that's why Devontae got overlooked because Ruggs is running around. Judy's route running stands out. Waddle's fast as hell. But if you watch Bama enough, you're like, dude, that get Devontae guy's always open. Like, what's <laughs> I love the Devontae Smith momentum. I'm with everybody. He was ridiculous again against LSU. That's who I would vote for. And I'd like to see something different happen because I think some of these quarterback stats are so out of control now that we felt like Tebow winning it the year he had 50 touchdowns when they they played Michigan in the bowl game. So it was like the non-national championship Tebow year. And he just had so many touchdowns. Was it 55 maybe combined for the year? you just like, look, whatever. You know, it's a weird year. He's going to get it. I'd like to see maybe a harder margin of just, okay, this quarterback stats were insane and we have to give it to him because a lot of these quarterbacks are just now for years putting up these absurd numbers. And I think Devontae is the best player in college football. I'm, I'm all for it. I'd like to see a defensive guy again get back in the mix. Maybe Alabama, maybe Sark will have Devontae throw a touchdown and that yes. clinches it for him because yes. that's what Heisman voters love is when the you moment. do something. The Jabril, the Jabril Peppers deal where it's like, hey, now you're going to run Wildcat. And it's like, all right, there's the Heisman winner. Did yep. it. He, he lined it up is. at running back. Awesome. You've talked me into switching my vote because you know what? And this is still this is still bitter, Danny, coming out. Like when I was at Florida State, it was a ah, product of the system. Ah, it's easy. Like and now, like no one says that anymore. Like it's it is way easier to play quarterback at Bama or Florida with the advantage you have having better talent than the other side of the ball every single time. I'll let you go after this. We just watched the program as a rewatchable, so it was '90s. I mean, that is you. Yeah. That's like right? Did you watch that? movie with your Florida State guys? Were you allowed to go with the cool kids or did Charlie Ward say like, we'll wait until it comes out and rent it? <laughs> no, it was, wasn't it a rated R? That would have been against Charlie. He would have said, no, 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 we can't watch that. It's rated R. I do remember goofing around in the huddle. Because I think it was junior year. Your oh, junior yeah. year is when it and, came out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was definitely the the Joe Kane, Danny Cannell. He was number 13. It was Kane. You just add two L's. The Garnet Gold uniforms. Very, very similar life stories. Like, I had problems off the field. Uh, you know, <laughs> rode my motorcycle. Like, I had a lot of That was more in the pros, though. It wasn't yes, in college. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I remember goofing around, coming in the huddle and saying, boys, let's put the women and children to bed. It's time to go to eat. You know, so like whatever the Joe Kane line was where he came in the huddle. I remember coming in the huddle during games and like goofing around with the guys and saying that they'd all laugh and get it. Like you loosen guys up, but all the time, like it was, that was the movie uh, at the time, like right in the thick of things. That's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, I definitely read right in the middle of Pensacola, read the sports illustrated laying down the street for sure. <laughs> read the preseason <laughs> publications right outside of Madison social. You just, they, yes. I know, I know that they didn't have that. Yet. I know, no, I know, I know. Slightly, <laughs> slightly different scene in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's Danny Cannell again. Check him out with McElroy every morning, Sirius XM, and on CBS as well. Thanks, buddy. You got it, man. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid so now you know what's possible let me tell you what's required life advice rr at gmail.com we had a few people reach out about the dave matthews story and guess what dave matthews fans were fucking fired up about that story big time um so you've i hope you feel heard we also had a couple oasis people check in and you were not happy about what I said. And I'm telling you right now, clean, man, you were so close. <laughs> What's that? You could have got out of that one clean. You were so close. And then you dropped the Oasis bomb like a second before signing off. Yeah, whatever. Maybe I'll read one Oasis email. All right. 
This is from John. Why are you denigrating <laughs> Oasis? The music holds up. Even the bloated albums, they should have edited better. You really like them. Um, and the Gallagher Brothers, the Gallagher Brothers' solo albums and side projects are all enjoyable listens. Noel, in particular, is an excellent musician and songwriter with a proven decades-long track record. I love the band, like millions of others. Use my name. I don't care. Hey, I appreciate your passion. I enjoy and recognize anyone's passion about anything. But this is not the, hey, Oasis is better than you're giving him credit for portion of the podcast. We were never at a point where we were like, hey, Kyle, should we do just some life advice stuff, like do more of them and then throw one at the back end all the time and have the numbers take off even more? Or should we do something on misunderstood Oasis? And I got to tell you, the feedback was was overwhelming to not do this part of the podcast on Oasis. So <laughs> there you go. Those guys were just such dicks, man. They just were. I'm sorry. Like it wasn't, they wanted to be the Beatles so bad and the, this new wave of thing. And no one can ever be the Beatles, by the way. You, you don't get to be the first thing that's that much of a world phenomenon again, in, in, unless you're doing something completely different, some category that maybe hasn't even been cre created yet. I don't, I don't know. Um, so I'm doing this little tongue in cheek here. So hopefully you still like the podcast, but we had some Oasis people that were upset about that. I didn't know there was that many people that were that fired up about Oasis still. But who knows, you know? Did you like it? Well, again, that's two, you're eight. So, yeah, so you know, Wonderwall. My I neighbor know. was really I, into Oasis. He was like, they're the greatest band ever. They're my favorite band. Yeah. And he was like, listen to all these. And I kind of did, and then I kind of didn't. So um, Wonderwall's great, though. Now, there was a couple years there where the push was that these guys, and then I tried to watch the documentary, and I wasn't even into them. I was like, let me check out the documentary. And I just went. Ugh, I know I can't, I can't. Well, Bill said famously, all most music documentaries are like infomercials, which are just tough to tough to watch for longer than twenty minutes. Anyway, <laughs> you want to hear a funny story about what you just did? So we had a researcher on the show with us, uh, a guy named Justin Ray, who was was our researcher for SVP and Rosillo. When we first launched SVP and Rosillo, there were like legitimate resources put in the show. We had a researcher, which is you know. We probably didn't need one, but it was nice that they thought enough of the show to do that. We were actually simulcast on ESPN2, and then we lost the simulcast, we lost the researcher, and then, you know, slowly, and slowly, we were like, um, it, was, it was not going in the right direction, even though the show was doing really well. And I, um, I remember, <laughs> just remind, I didn't, I knew Bill, your uncle then. I'd met him a few times, but he was always like a little prickly with me. Like he would kind of dig at me, but I was used to it because he's a New England guy. I'm a New England guy, but there was a little bit of like, you know, it wasn't like we were besties right away. And we'd email occasionally. I'm talking like maybe a year in between emails and then we would email. But our researcher, as we were doing pre-show stuff, we'd be like, well, what do you think about this topic? What do you think about that? Or what do you think about this? He always would say, well, Simmons says. <laughs> so you love that. <laughs> and he did. So and then finally one day I was like, hey, Simmons says, like the Simmons fucking army thing. I got it. He's really good. He's a really good writer. But I don't, I don't need to Simmons proofread every fucking take I have before the show starts. All right. So stop. You know, and I, Justin and I got along. So I don't think he thought it was like me being some irate jerk on air guy and again you know but i just i was like i can't i can't take this anymore and it, look we even laughed about it so it wasn't i don't think this is like breaking news but there was such a time where if you were going to talk about any kind of topic like younger people younger readers and those people now are in their 30s but they would just go like well bill simmons says and oh I would damn just it go, all right so <laughs> you doing <laughs> <damn> it, it. <laughs> no it's just but it's a good point it's a good point and i would like to think that bill and i are friends now but it's just it was just something as a younger guy trying to make his mark i'm like you know what i don't want to do is <laughs> do bill simmons quotes on my radio show yeah. every day you know like that's that's not really the goal as a guy who's trying to be an independent voice and kind of you know have have his own thing going on um so whatever whatever that just reminded me of that and that was kind of funny so the documentary thing on on music the, the the new athlete documentaries are are kind of tough to watch they just i was like all right here we go like sometimes i'll watch them 
you know, it's always a, it's always like a go-to on a plane back when we were on them or a hotel or something. I'll be like, oh, let me check this out. Like I watched the Marbury one, I think on a flight. And I was like, yeah, that's all right. You know, I just felt like there was more to it. You know, you know what the problem with the Marbury thing? There was a lot of awesome stuff in there. I love all that Coney Island stuff, that New York City, just that New York City bravado basketball. Like, I just love it. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I've read what you guys have read or watched what you've read. But to walk around and see some of those games, like, I've always wanted to go and do that. Um, and for whatever reason, like, I never made it down to some of those parks just because, like, summer would happen. And that time of year, I'd, I'd want to get out of New England. But I, I'm always fascinated with it. You know, I just think it's so cool. And, and I think that whole culture part of it is incredibly cool because I don't really know them. I can be more disconnected from it, but I've always wanted to check it out. And I felt like that part of the Marbury documentary was terrific, but there was very little, every, every turn, this is kind of ironic considering where this podcast started today, every turn of the Marbury story, there was zero accountability. It was always some other thing. It was always everybody else's fault, the team's fault, and then family members. And that's just tough. I mean, like, look at the hardened situation with his mom. His mom was going at people, I think. And you're like, what are you supposed to do? Argue with somebody's mom? Hell, Draymond Green's mom came at me, and I was, I don't think I've ever been remotely negative about Draymond. She misunderstood what I said. And then next thing I know, Draymond Green's mom is tweeting at me mad. And I was like, all right, whatever, we're out. I'm not going to argue with somebody's mom about their kid. You know, imagine, imagine a mom being like, Hey, Ryan, you know what? Good point. Good point about that. Dray <laughs> Draymond, Draymond could, you know, I, whatever. I don't even want to use Draymond as an example, but you get the whole point. You know, imagine James Harden, mom being like to Woj. She's like, you know what? That's maybe he should demand a trade a year from now, Woj. Good point. I'll talk to my son. Okay. Um, life advice. Let's see here. All right. Um, guys, big fan of the show. Ryan and Kyle, big fans of the show. Uh, as is the entire office. Oh, no. Well, wait. So if they all read this, how am I supposed to do this now? Hey, like he, the made, last thing I, he made the choice. He made the choice, but I don't know. I don't know if he realizes what he did there. So you know what? I'm not going to read this one. It's a good one. But I want to be really careful here. I'm, I'm serious about this. Like, I want to be completely careful. So if he's like, hey, what's up? Office loves the show, too. So, all right. If you know... How about you do this? It's about your ex-wife and it's about your new friend and wanting to end it with the new friend. You can send us a follow-up email to Kyle, lifeadvicerr Gmail, and say that it's okay to go ahead and read that one. All right? Because I don't, like I might have, might have screwed up. Is that cool? Okay, here we go. All right, um, we'll do just one of these. Love the show in the segment. I got a predicament for you. 22 year old dude who's single. I graduated in May of this year, worked a full-time job in an IT department. I've worked with this company as an intern for a couple of years. I got hired in June since I've been working there. This super attractive girl in accounting who I always thought was cool. Never really talked to much because she had a long-term boyfriend. Now four plus years that she was with this guy. The boyfriend's an Air Force dude who's stationed 20 hours away. In August of this year, she slid into my DM you work together and she said oh i've actually if it's august then maybe you're all remote anyway so all right so she slides into the dm we started chatting both of us are the youngest two people uh at our company by far and are both fairly attractive and athletic well shout out to your hotness bro found some mutual interest so we quickly began an entanglement will smith style i suppose i uh ignore almost all will smith jada pinkett news so what exactly happened kyle like jada was with someone else and then will smith just said it was an entanglement i i mean i saw the memes i saw all that stuff my level uh, of interest was will like smith it, is it like my hero so uh, i don't like any of this either i tried to kind of shut it off but what i do know is that um i think they were separated is something like that and jada used the word entanglement so that's why it's a little more cringy um but uh, it just it hurt. Okay. It hurt to watch Will Smith hurt. That's all I have to say on that. No, that's fair. I, I like I like your concern. You, you know, there's there's a real. I can hear it in your voice. It bummed you out. So I, I don't want to make light of that. I did catch some of that Lori Laughlin daughter thing, who was part of the USC deal, because I was watching the news, the local news, which I don't do a ton. Although I kind of love some of the people that are on local LA, LA TV. I'm like I, this, this is unbelievable. <laughs> like you guys, I would move to LA. I would tell everyone to move here for just a year to watch the local television. I'd be like, I can't believe this is real. But um, morning there was great. I don't know. Yeah, the morning shows are just another level. I think they go out and then they're like, all right, and make sure you stay out all on out all night and then come in and do the morning show. But there was the Jada Pinkett show, whether it's Jada's daughter and then her mom. 
Yeah, it's the red table. Yeah. And so then the Lori Laughlin daughter had to come on and say, like, I'm sorry. And I don't know. I, I just kind of watched that whole thing. I was like, you know what? I'd like this dynamic a little bit more if I know for certain that Jada and Will Smith have never used their their positions to further their kids deal in something. You know, maybe it wasn't as egregious as what happened at USC. Maybe it's not even close. But I was like, wait, so we're going to get mad at the daughter in this case because her parents did something wrong. But she has to like go on the show. Anyway, this part of the podcast absolutely sucks. Let's get back to the life advice. All right. So entanglement. Um, So our guy says, now, I don't condone my actions. I know I've fucked up something and I'm not proud of that. My question is, do I tell the dude? I kind of know him a little just from spending time with her family as they have come to think of us, her and I as just good friends. She doesn't want to tell him and is going to see him in a few months when he's on leave and says she'll tell him then. So wait, she's going to go see her boyfriend when he's on leave and be like, oh, by the way. So tell tell him ahead of time. Like, I don't, hey, oh my God, it's so great to see you. So before we hang out, all right, so uh, that doesn't seem fair to him. That's what our guy's saying. And if I, and I know if I was in his position, I'd rather know well before I had to see the lady so I could make the choice on whether or not I would want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an asshole. I understand that. Not condoning cheating. I just think the, dessert, uh, the dude deserves to know. Uh, and she, if she isn't going to tell him, is it my place to do that? Okay, look, first, let's just go here, Drew. It's 20, you're 22. None of this is going to matter. I don't think it's your place to tell the guy. I'm not saying what you did is awesome here, but you're t- you guys are 22. We got a pandemic going on here. Um, I'd be a little worried if it maybe were another branch. Not to say there aren't tough guys in the Air Force, but I'm guessing you were kind of like ah, Air Force. You know, no, like Air Force guys are like geniuses. And no, that's what I heard. You go to the Air Force. Yeah, right. No, I've been to the campus. Um, it was unbelievable. Like that whole deal. You're like, man, in another life, you know, probably not though. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I just, I think I'd be a little more worried if you were like, yeah, he's a Marine. He's stationed like three hours away. But again, it doesn't mean like every Marine's the toughest guy of all time either. So let's, uh, let's not assume anything. So I don't know she made a decision. She's away from her guy. You jumped in on it because she's hot. Apparently you're hot too. Uh, I just don't think this is really that that big of a deal. But I definitely don't think it's your call to tell him. Now, if you want to date her and she's going to break up with this guy, then, then you know, look, this stuff kind of happens. I mean, you're young. No one's married. You're not divvying up a beach house here. You don't have kids and custody and all that kind of stuff. So I know in your world right now, because you're only 22, like you think this is a big deal. Maybe you just want an email right on the show and it's not even that big of a deal. But I, I think it's up to her. But again, if she ends up dating you and then burns you a little bit later on, you can't act like you're surprised because, um, I don't know. But I, I think the whole on leave thing, guys in the military that are listening to this, like, you know the deal. And it's probably not, you know, I doubt all you guys are turning down options and <laughs> some weekend away from the base either. So um, I'm going to go ahead and say, not guilty. <laughs> I'd say neither of you tell him and then she should date neither of you after that. And then just start fresh with somebody who doesn't know any of this stuff. Yeah, but apparently... Everybody wins. Yeah, apparently he's definitely definitely attracted to her. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. There's another email that I needed to find. I can't find. So enjoy the open. Enjoy the Danny Cannell part. And uh, DeMarcus Ware on Friday. Is that correct? Yeah, man. Happening. Yep. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Ryan Russillo Podcast and the Ringer Podcast Network, part of Spotify. Talk to you Friday. 